You are listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 17. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. So this week, I'm going to do something a little bit different than I've done before. I'm not going to interview anybody. I'm actually going to read a passage of Codependent No More, How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Caring for Yourself. It's a book that Melody Beattie wrote a while ago, actually. And I've had a few people tell me, oh, you're doing addiction support podcasts. You really should read this book. And so I decided I'd pick it up and take a look at it. And a lot of it um, is familiar. I've done a lot of personal growth type work, activities, coaching, seminars, that type of thing. So a lot of it's already stuff that I am aware of. Um, However, the book's really cool. It puts it into a different perspective, especially for people that are on my side of it. You know, I love, I have two brothers that are, well, one of them's passed. The other one is um, in the middle of his addiction right now. And the more people I talk to and stuff, it's just just the more uh, I want to understand. And I want to understand really what I can do, you know, (laughs) being on my side of it, I want to know what I can do to help others. But really it's what can I do to help myself? Because the more that we help ourselves, the more we really are truly helping others. So I'm going to read this to you. If you like this, what I'm reading, and you don't already have a copy of Codependent No More, I have two options for you. And you can go back to the show notes and click through and buy them that way. But if you'd like, you can either buy the physical book through my Amazon link. That will help um, support the podcast. It doesn't cost you anymore and I'll make a little bit of money through Amazon. Or if you want to get a copy of the audio book and you don't have an Audible uh, account yet, you can get a free copy of this book on audio and that also um, gives some money back to the podcast because I am a affiliate with Audible. So that link is audibletrial.com forward slash addiction support podcast. If you use that, that will help me out and I will greatly appreciate it. Anyway, I hope that you enjoy this passage and uh, feel inspired to pick up the book. Thank you. Encouraging, inspirational, and life-changing content that makes a difference. Created specifically for you by oakcreekwellness.com. This is part two, the basics of self-care from Codependent No More. Chapter five, detachment. It, detachment, is not detaching from the person whom we care about, but from the agony of involvement. That's a quote by an LNM member. When I was trying to choose the topic for the first chapter in the section of the book, many subjects competed for first place. I chose detachment. Not because it is significantly more important than the other concepts. I selected it because it is an underlying concept. It is something we need to do frequently as we strive to live happy lives. It is the goal of most recovery programs for codependence. And it is also something we must do first before we can do the other things we need to do. We cannot begin to work on ourselves, to live our own lives, feel our own feelings, and solve our own problems until we have detached from the object of our obsession. From my experience and those of others, it appears that even our higher power can't do much with us until we have detached. Attachment. 
When a codependent says, I think I'm getting attached to you, look out. He or she probably means it. Most codependents are attached to people and problems in their environments. By attached, I don't mean normal feelings of liking people, being concerned about problems, or feeling connected to the world. Attachment is becoming overly involved, sometimes hopelessly entangled. Attachment can take on several forms. We may become excessively worried about and preoccupied with a problem or person. Our mental energy is attached. Or we may graduate to becoming obsessed with and controlling of the people and problems in our environment. Our mental, physical, and emotional energy is directed at the object of our obsession. We may become reactionaries instead of acting authentically of our own volition. Our mental, emotional, and physical energy is attached. We may become emotionally dependent on the people around us. Now we're really attached. We may become caretakers rescuers, enablers, to the people around us, firmly attaching ourselves to their need for us. The problems with attachment are many. In this chapter, I will focus on worry and obsession. In following chapters, I will cover the other forms of attachment. Over-involvement of any sort can keep us in a state of chaos. It can keep the people around us in a state of chaos. If we are focusing all of our energies on people and problems, we have little left for the business of living our own lives. And there's just so much worry and responsibility in the air. If we take it all on ourselves, there is none left for the people around us. It overworks us and underworks them. Furthermore, worrying about people and problems does not help. It doesn't solve problems. It doesn't help other people. And it doesn't help us. It's wasted energy. If you believe that feeling bad or worrying long enough will change a fact, then you are residing on another planet with a different reality system wrote Dr. Wayne Dyer in Your Erroneous Zone. Worrying and obsessing keeps us so tangled in our own heads, we can't solve our problems. Whenever we become attached in these ways to someone or something, we become detached from ourselves. We lose touch with ourselves. We forfeit our power and ability to think, feel, act, and take care of ourselves. We lose control. Obsession in another human being or a problem is an awful thing to be caught up in. Have you ever seen someone who is obsessed with someone or something? That person can talk about nothing else, can think of nothing else. Even if he appears to be listening when you talk, you know that person doesn't hear you. His mind is tossing and turning, crashing and banging around and around on an endless racetrack of compulsive thought. He is preoccupied. He relates whatever you say, no matter how unrelated it actually is, to the object of his obsession. He says the same things over and over, sometimes changing the wording slightly, sometimes using the same words. Nothing you say makes any difference. Even telling him to stop does not help. He probably would if he could. The problem is he can't at that moment. He is bursting with the jarring energy of that obsession is made of. He has a problem or a concern that is not only bothering him, it is controlling him. Many of the people I've worked with in family groups have been that obsessed with the people they care about. When I asked them what they are feeling, they told me what the other person was feeling. When I asked them what they did, they told me what the other person had done. Their entire focus was on someone or something other than themselves. Some of them had spent years of their lives doing this, worrying about, reacting to, and trying to control other human beings. They were shells, sometimes almost invisible shells, shells of people. Their energy was depleted, directed at someone else. 
They couldn't tell me what they were feeling and thinking because they didn't know. Their focus was not on themselves. Maybe you've been obsessed with someone or something. Someone does or says something. A thought occurs to you. Something reminds you of a past event. A problem enters your awareness. Something happens or doesn't happen. Or you sense something's happening, but you're not sure what. He doesn't call, and he usually calls by now. He doesn't answer the phone, and he should. It's payday. In the past, he always got drunk on payday. He's only been sober three months. What happened again today? You may not know what, you may not know why, and you're not sure when, but you know something bad, something terrible has happened, is happening, or is about to happen. It hits you in the stomach. That feeling fills you up, that gut-twisting, hand-wringing anxiety that is so familiar to codependence. It is what causes us to do so much of what we do that hurts ourselves. It is the substance worry and obsession feed upon. It is fear at its worst. Fear usually comes and goes, leaving us in a flight, ready to fight, or just temporarily frightened. But anxiety hangs in there. It grips the mind, paralyzing it for all but its own purposes. An endless rehashing of the same useless thoughts. It's the fuel that propels us into controlling behaviors of all sorts. We can think of nothing but keeping a lid on things, controlling the problem, and making it go away. It is the stuff codependency is made of. When you're obsessed, you can't get your mind off that person or that problem, and you don't know what you're feeling. You don't know what you're thinking. You're not even sure what you should do, but by God, you should do something, and fast. Worrying, obsessing, and controlling are illusions. They are tricks we play on ourselves. We feel like we're doing something to solve our problem, but we're not. Many of us have reacted this way with justifiably good reason. We may have lived with serious, complicated problems that have disrupted our lives, and they would provoke any normal person to become anxious, upset, worried, and obsessed. We may love someone who is in trouble, someone who is out of control. His or her problem may be alcoholism, an eating disorder, gambling, a mental or emotional problem, or any combination of these. Some of us may be living with less serious problems, but they concern us anyway. People we love or care about may have mood swings. They may do things we wish they wouldn't do. We may think he or she should do things differently, a better way, a way that we believe wouldn't cause so many problems. Out of habit, some of us may have developed an attitude of attachment, of worrying, reacting, and obsessively trying to control. Maybe we've lived with people and through events that were out of control, maybe obsessing and controlling is the way we keep things in balance or temporarily keep them from getting worse. And then we just kept on doing it. Maybe we were afraid to let go because when we let go in the past, terrible, hurtful things happened. Maybe we've been attached to people, living their lives for and through them for so long that we don't have any life of our own left to live. It's safer to stay attached. At least we know we're alive if we're reacting. At least we've got something to do if we're obsessing or controlling. For various reasons, codependents try to attach themselves to problems and people. Never mind that worrying isn't solving anything. Never mind that those problems rarely have solutions. Never mind that they're so obsessed they can't read a book, watch television, or go for a walk. Never mind that their emotions are constantly in turmoil over what she said or didn't say, what she did or didn't do, or what she will do next. Never mind that the things we're doing aren't helping anyone. No matter what the cost, we still hang on. 
We will grit our teeth, clutch the rope, and grab more tightly than ever. Some of us may not even be aware that we're holding on so tightly. Some of us may have convinced ourselves that we have to hang on tightly. We believe there is simply no other choice but to react to this particular problem or person in this obsessive manner. Frequently, when I suggest to people that they detach from a problem or person, they recoil in horror. Oh no, they say, I could never do that. I love him or her too much. I care too much to do that. This problem or person is too important to me. I have to stay attached. My answer to that is, who says you have to? I've got news, good news. We don't have to. There's a better way. It's called detachment. It may be scary at first, but it will ultimately work better for everyone involved. A better way. Exactly what is detachment? What am I asking of you? The term, as you may have guessed, is more jargon. First, let's discuss what detachment isn't. Detachment is not a cold, hostile withdrawal, a resigned, despairing acceptance of anything life and people throw our way, a robotic walk through life oblivious to and totally unaffected by people and problems, a Pollyanna-like ignorant bliss, a shrinking of our true responsibilities to ourselves and others, a severing of our relationships, nor is it a removal of our love or concern, although sometimes these ways of detaching might be the best we can do for the moment. Ideally, detaching is releasing or detaching from a personal problem in love. We mentally, emotionally, and sometimes physically disengage ourselves from unhealthy and frequently painful entanglements with another person's life and responsibilities, and from problems we cannot solve. According to a handout titled Detachment that has been passed around Al-Anon groups for years, Detachment is based on the premise that each person is responsible for himself and we can't solve problems that aren't ours to solve and that worrying does not help. We adopt a policy of keeping our hands off other people's responsibilities and tend to our own instead. If people have created some disaster for themselves, we allow them to face their own proverbial music. We allow people to be who they are. We give them the freedom to be responsible and grow. We give ourselves that same freedom. We live our own lives to the best of our ability. We strive to ascertain what we can change and what we cannot change. Then we stop trying to change things we can't. We do what we can to solve a problem, and then we stop fretting and stewing. If we cannot solve a problem and we have done what we could, we learn to live with or in spite of that problem. And we try to live happily, focusing heroically on all the good in our lives today and feeling grateful for that. We learn the magical lessons that making the most of what we have turns it into more. Detachment involves present moment living, living in the here and now. We allow life to happen instead of forcing and trying to control it. We relinquish regrets over the past and fears about the future. We make the most of each day. Detachment also involves accepting reality, the facts. It requires faith in ourselves, in God, in other people, in the natural order and destiny of things in this world. We believe in the righteousness and appropriateness of each moment. We release our burdens and cares and give ourselves the freedom to enjoy life in spite of our unsolved problems. We trust that all is well in spite of the conflicts. We trust that someone greater than ourselves knows, has ordained, and cares about what is happening. We understand that this someone can do much more to solve the problems than we can. So we try to stay out of his way and let him do it. 
In time, we know that all is well because we see how the strangest and sometimes most painful things work out for the best and for the benefit of everyone. Judy Hollis wrote of detachment in the section of codependency in her book, Fat is a Family Affair. There she described detachment as a healthy neutrality. Detaching doesn't mean we don't care. It means we learn to love, care, and be involved without going crazy. We stop creating all this chaos in our minds and environments. When we're not anxious and compulsively thrashing about, we become able to make good decisions about how to love people, how to solve our problems. We become free to care and to love in ways that help others and don't hurt ourselves. The rewards from detachment are great. Serenity, a deep sense of peace, the ability to give and receive love in self-enhancing, energizing ways, and the freedom to find real solutions in our problems. We find the freedom to live in our own lives without excessive feelings of guilt about or responsible or, or responsibility towards others. Sometimes detachment even motivates and frees people around us to begin to solve their problems. We stop worrying about them, and they pick up the slack and finally start worrying about themselves. What a grand plan. We each mind our own business. Earlier, I described a person caught in the entanglement of obsessions and worry. I have known many people who have had to, or have chosen to, live with serious problems, such as an alcoholic spouse who never sobered up, a severely handicapped child, and a teenager hellbent on destroying himself through drugs and criminal behavior. These people learned to live with, and in spite of, their problems. They grieved for their losses, then found a way to live their lives not in resignation, martyrdom, and despair, but with enthusiasm, peace, and a true sense of gratitude for that which is good. They took care of their actual responsibilities. They gave to people, they helped people, and they loved people, but they also gave to and loved themselves. They held themselves in high self-esteem. They didn't do these things perfectly or without effort or instantly, but they strived to do these things, and they learned to do them well. I owe a debt of gratitude to these people. They taught me that detachment was possible. They showed me it could work. I would like to pass that same hope on to you. It is my wish that you will find other people to pass that hope on to, for detachment is real and thrives with reinforcement and nurturing. I think I'm going to go ahead and stop right there because I think that's a great place to stop. I know a couple weeks ago when I interviewed Donna, she talked about attached, detached, and unattached, I think. And and really, as I was reading this passage, that came to mind too. And I really love the idea of detaching with love. And it doesn't mean that we walk away from the people. It doesn't mean we stop loving or caring. It just means we stop obsessing and making ourselves nuts about stuff that is none of our business. So it's interesting. There's other areas of my life that this has come up recently. We had a fake family emergency happen last week. And um, my husband and I both were able to talk about a lot of this stuff and realized how our actions and reactions came into play and how it didn't have to necessarily be that way and how we took responsibility for our part and all of that. But it's just interesting how we as people and human beings become intertwined in each other and feel bad for upsetting somebody else when we didn't intentionally try to do that and we're not responsible for other people's feelings. Anyway, I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but I hope that that passage from Codependent No More um, inspired you. And if you'd like to get a copy, once again, you can go ahead and go to audibletrial.com forward slash addiction support podcast and support the podcast that way. Or you can come back to 
the show notes and buy it through Amazon and support us that way. I really appreciate it. As always, if you haven't already subscribed to iTunes or left us a review, please do so. And that will help more people find us and let us know that you're digging what you're, pit, you're picking up what I'm putting down. So love you guys. I see you surrounded with light and love. Make it a great week. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com.